uh, if I don't know you or you've been coming a, you know, a couple weeks and we still haven't met, um, I'm going to be in the lobby afterwards. My, my predominant role is to, to teach on Sundays, and I really would love to get to meet you guys if, if I already haven't done that. So, um, again, I'll be out there. At least come up, say hi. We, we, can, uh, we can get to know each other um, briefly. I'm, I'm going to jump right in real quickly um, because uh, I don't want to take too much of our time. I know we got some Easter plans and all that. Um, I, I want to kind of uh, put in front of us just real quick so you know if you are new, um, our bread and butter for redemption is to go through books in the Bible. And so um, what that means essentially is we want to uh, take, let's say, Mark or take Judges and just go um, chapter and verse, chapter and verse all the way through that book so we can understand it fully. And every now and then there's going to be this time where we kind of stop and, and, and whether it be holiday or whatever it is, like a, like a date like today being Easter, we're going to just take a Sunday and, and look specific at a topic. And that's what we're going to do this morning as we look at the resurrection okay now um here's the deal man i'm I'm wearing a cardigan like some of you guys are all dressed up um there's going to be billions literally of billions of people all around the world who will cram themselves into homes into buildings into churches to celebrate what is today now some may be nominal christians maybe some won't be christians at all maybe you here now aren't really you know you don't really know where you are with jesus still trying to figure that jesus thing out um, but you're here on Easter, and, and maybe um, traditionally you're here, just because historically your family's always gone to an Easter service. And the big question that I want to raise is, is why? I mean, when I think about Easter, um, and, and I, you know, you, those of you who are in second service, or those of you who are stayed when I asked you to move to first service, so thanks for not listening. Um, uh, but uh, in first service, yeah, a lot of people did move, and it was great and to go through and meet a lot of people who weren't aren't christians who said they're here because they're they were uh, husband wanted them to come or their wife wanted them to come or whatever it is and to begin to think for me as a teacher like this is a kind of a weird deal because some i, I won't see again this is going to be your, your one and done for the year some have been here every single week since we've started and will continue to come some um are here and and you're, you're not a believer so um what i think would be best if we're going to continue to move forward and as a church we want to continue to establish ourselves in jesus that the crux of all that he does is the resurrection is keep it super simple this morning and explain why all those billions of people and why you are here now why is this a big deal why do we dress up what is it about the resurrection that is worth celebrating okay and this is important because my three-year-old daughter um, came up to me yesterday and said um uh, she, she's three and i have a t- uh, my middle son it's titus he's six um and, he, and she came up and said titus keeps pinching and poking me and it's dramatic Titus keeps poking and poking me. It's dramatic. I don't like that. It's dramatic. Okay. And I looked at her and I said, and I don't think she got the reference, but I said, you keep using that word. I don't think it means what you think it means. Okay. And she's like, yes, it does. And walked away. But it's important because she's using the word dramatic and she probably means annoying or, or she doesn't know what she means. Um, but the reality is it is important. I think we would all know using a word or um, believing in something, coming to a church service or dressing up for something. Why do we do it? Why is this a big deal? Why are people getting jacked about this thing every single year? Why has this been the crux? What is going on? And so that's all I want to do. I want to keep it simple and explain why this is a big deal. Now, for me to do this, um, I've got to kind of rewind the clock a couple days because um, it was this last Friday that about 150 of us from this church gathered into another room and we celebrated something called Good Friday. 
okay? For us to understand the resurrection, I need to set that foundation because here's the reality of why we got in that room three days ago. We believe that Jesus, before he was obviously resurrected, was crucified and, and then buried and, and he was dead and that is how he resurrected. And it's important we understand what took place on that Friday because Sunday does begin to, to, to become something all the more. So here's um, how I, I think I can explain this. And you don't need to be a Christian to even believe um, the first two things. But I think there are three things in understanding what happened on Friday as we move towards the resurrection. The first is this. Um, and again, you don't need to be a Christian, but there is a reality that we all live in as the human race. There's something that um, continues to take our breath away, that suffocates us. And it is the idea of the world that we live in that it is not the way it is supposed to be. There is something about the, the, the way the world is. Every time you lose a family member, Every time a mom, a dad, a brother, sister, son, daughter, friend dies, you feel as you can barely get a breath. This is not right. I, I shouldn't, it shouldn't be like this. When a friend or a husband or a boyfriend or a girlfriend does you dirty and they leave you and, or, or a business deal goes wrong, there's a sense of this is not how it's supposed to be. I know it's not supposed to be. I can feel within me. And you don't need to be a Christian to know this because the reality is every time you get something in your spam that tells you 10 better ways to have a sex life, every time you walk down the supermarket that tells you this is five ways to get a boyfriend, 10 ways to, to get a better relationship, every time you want the new iPhone, the new car, the new house, there is an emptiness within you that says this is not the way it is supposed to be. And you don't need to be a Christian to know that. That is just fact. Walk in to any bookstore and you will see self-help. You will see make it better, improvements, whatever it is. Oprah, Dr. Phil, uh, Ramsey, they've all got one thing. You are here. You need to get here. That is reality. That is just reality. Now, we understand that to be true. And that's simple, right? That's the first thing. And the second thing. I don't think you need to be a Christian to believe either. All those things that exist, all the pain, all the brokenness, the suffocation that is this world and the way it's not supposed to be sometimes um, brings within us, it conjures something within us that is from your God because you're made in his image, whether you believe it or not, and that is justice. That because of those things that take place, specifically if you think of your own life, when someone does you wrong, you say that's not right. They deserve to be punished. You watch the news and watch a, a mom suffocate her child to death. She should be punished. You watch a, a, a grown man beat a little girl to death. He should be punished. There's justice. You're wired in such a way to go. That's not right. It needs to be fixed. There is justice within you. You know it to be true because you feel it, even if you think of it only on a personal level. Now, now, the trick in all of this is the first part, whether you agree with this or not, by our biblical worldview is something called sin. Now, maybe you don't uh, agree that the things are not the way that they're supposed to be, or maybe you would see that and know that, but maybe you would say um, the cause of it is different than, than what I would say the cause of it, or, or the solution is different than what I would say the solution is. But biblically, what we understand to be true is that God did not make it this way. He didn't make it this way. I mean, we only get two chapters in our Bible to see the way that God has made the world to be. And then we get to the third chapter and this sin thing enters in and it disrupts everything. And now there's loss of life. There's pain. There's pointing of fingers. There is injustice. And so what we see as the, the, the Bible continues to roll on is that justice, it has to be paid. Why? You know it. I mean, this is C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity, the first chapter. No society, no society can ever exist. No society has ever existed. When you walk around and go, yeah, it's okay to murder. Yeah, it's okay to steal. You can do whatever you want. If you want to do that, yeah, that's fine. Do that. No, no, we, we at our nature, you don't need to be, there's something within us that says that's not okay. It needs to be punished. 
And the third thing is something Christians is very unique that, that we would say. That we believe the first thing is sin. The second thing, justice uh, needs to be performed on these things that are unjust. The third thing and what we celebrated Good Friday is that's exactly what Jesus came to do. That's exactly what he came to do. He came to eradicate sin. That the man who, who beats a six-year-old girl with a computer cord to death, that all the wrath that you think he deserves, if he would but plead for Jesus for forgiveness, he took that pain. He should be punished, and Jesus was for him. Do you understand? Do you understand what we celebrated on Friday? Now, with that said, this becomes problematic. Because if the story ends on Friday, you and I have been fooled. And the hope that we think we have in Jesus doesn't exist because there's one thing about that first truth that we all live in. The reality of it all is that sin thing that we talked about has a hold on us in a very unique way, something none of us in this room will be able to escape. And it comes from Romans 5, 12, that sin entered the world through one man, death through sin. In this, all men will die because all have sinned. So if the story ends on Friday, Jesus is no better than you and I. Because if the story ends on Friday, Jesus succumbed to sin, and he didn't beat sin. And so if we want to blow up the reality of what the resurrection is, I want to sit in that for a second. And there's one passage in the Bible, one, one passage in the Bible that brings us to that reality. There's one passage in the Bible that, that lays in front of us what the world would look like if the story did end on Friday, if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead. And to my Christian brothers and sisters, and if you're not a believer in here, I'm not trying to ostracize you, but to my Christian brothers and sisters, hear what this passage has to say and hear it well. Open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 15 if you already haven't done so. The background is pretty simple. There's a guy named Paul who Jesus showed himself to in a revelation, and, and he sees him, literally sees him, right? He goes blind, and from that moment, he knows he has this mission. And so Paul is going around what you know is the area of the Middle East, and he's planting these churches, Galatia, Philippi, Colossae. He's going through these, these places, planting these churches. And as he leaves, he, he checks up on them, and so he writes something, these, these things called letters to them. And so when you open your Bible, you read the you read Galatians, that's a letter to a small church. You read Philippians, that's a letter to a small church. Well, you open up 1 Corinthians, it is a letter to a small church, but it's a very long letter. Now, the reason it's a long letter, one of the longest, if not the longest, there's actually a, a, a second Corinthians, uh, if it wasn't enough, is because this small church could not get it right. They, they, they continued to like, they were suing each other, they were sleeping together, they were getting things wrong in all types of areas of, of, of practicing communion, God's word. It was just bad. It was all bad. And now you get to the very end of 1 Corinthians, and what Paul does is he lays out the essential tenets of the faith, and then he, he addresses one more thing that they've done wrong, and that is in laying out the essential tenets of faith, some in the church don't believe that there's a resurrection from the dead. Some would say that this Jesus, as he died, it didn't on Friday, he wasn't raised from the dead. And so the thesis question that's brought up, you can read it for yourself as you see in verses 12 and 13. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. So this is the thesis premise. Let's, let's deal for a second, my Christian friends, um, in a world that Jesus could not have been raised from the dead because there is no resurrection from the dead. If the story ends on Friday, what does our world look like? What does our world look like? Well, the first is simple. 
picks up in verse 14. It says this, and if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. So check it out. Here's the reality. Um, Every single time, if you grew up in church, you, you had a missionary come to your church and he went somewhere to another country, that was a waste of freaking time. Every time you've conjured up the strength to talk to your neighbor, your friend, your family member, it was vanity. It was pointless because you were lying. The, you're, you're claiming in that moment there is a hope beyond this world. Follow it. Follow Jesus. But it ended Friday. He wasn't raised from the dead. If, if he wasn't raised from the dead, then there is no hope. He lost to sin just like you lose to sin. So it's in vain, man. Every time you've preached or had long conversations or worked out some type of theology, and maybe some of you haven't. Some of you don't talk about Jesus, and you should. A little side Easter guilt for you, um, okay? But the reality is, the reality is those of you who have stepped up to the plate and said, man, I'm going to proclaim myself to Jesus. I want to walk them through and tell them about the cross. If he hasn't been raised from the dead, it doesn't matter what he did on the cross. He's fooled you. It was a lie. He has to be able to beat sin. The only way to beat sin is to beat death because death has a hold on us through sin. It, it was a lie. You, you've been conned, man. You have been conned. And every person you've ever told, it was all in vain. People giving their lives for the mission of, of Jesus. You giving money to missionaries. You giving your own money to this church so we can proclaim the mission. It's all been in vain. Every time we've opened our mouth to tell someone about Jesus, it was a waste of time. Now, if you're a thinker, you immediately do what Paul's about to do, um, because if it's not true for them, it gets worse, Then it's not true for you either, is it? He says that. He says in verse 16, for if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. So wait a minute. You, 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 not only you telling people about Jesus was, was, was vanity, didn't make sense, suddenly you realize, wait a minute, if it's not true for them, then it's not true for me either. We're, we're told in Romans 4.25, he was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. So, so he may have died, and you could say, oh, that's good, but the reality is if he doesn't beat sin, you're still stuck, stuck in sin. So remember that little first point that I made, that we're, we're in this world, and it just suffocates us, the death that's all around us, and the hope you think you have, you don't have any. He didn't beat it. Do you understand? The sin is still suffocating us. There's nothing beyond this world. You lose because he lost. You put all your chips in his corner, and it came up 22 no blackjack, it's over. Do you understand the difference here? Now, if your mind continues to roll, Paul at the same time continues to process this the way that you do. Because if, if, if it's been vanity for you to tell people about Jesus, and it's also not true for you, then it's also not true for everyone you've ever known who's claimed to be a Christian you think is in heaven right now. This is what he says. If Christ... Uh, or I'm sorry, then those... Verse 18. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If, if Jesus didn't raise from the dead, then, then that grandma or that grandpa, that mom, that dad, brother, sister, friend, family member, whoever it is, that you think right now is with Jesus, they're not. Because they have sin. And that sin that they feel separates them from a perfect God. 
And because they're separated from that perfect God, they need someone to conquer that sin. They needed someone to, to take that sin within them so that there is a clearance, a pathway. And Jesus was supposed to be that. The problem is Jesus stepped in and he succumbed to sin and he took your sin, but he didn't beat it. So sin is still there. Sin is still the champion. You got to enter the ring and you got to fight sin. And we all know, here's the famous human language. None of us are perfect. No one can be perfect. You will fail. You will fail. And your grandma and grandpa, they're, they're not in heaven. Your brother or sister, they're not in heaven. No, no, no. And I quote, they have perished. They have perished. You can think all you want. Their good works got them there. No, it hasn't. They weren't that good. They have perished. And if you don't think it could get worse, it does still. Because if there's no resurrection... Verse 19, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. So the first three tend to deal with this. You know, I'm telling people about Jesus so they can get to heaven. I believe that one day I'm going to spend eternity with God. My grandparents, my mom, my dad, whoever, they're with God. But then suddenly the camera zooms away from there, focuses in on right now. Like suddenly right now you realize that you've built your life on one solid premise found in Matthew 6. You've built your entire life as a Christian since the moment you said you're going to follow Jesus on this simple fact. As this is what Jesus, the one who supposedly rose in from the dead, this is what he told you to do. Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You have said, I know that there is security in this world, but I'm finding all of my joy, I'm putting all of my investment in something beyond this. I know this is not it. YOLO is not the answer. I know there is more. That's been your claim as a Christian because Jesus told you to do it and you trusted him. And matter of fact, the way this would look is a perfect example is found in Luke 14. This is what that would, this would look like. When you give a reception, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed since they do not have the means to repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. So don't just throw a party and think of yourself. And that's what you've done as Christians. You're, you're trying to think of other people, not thinking of yourself too highly. You are putting others before you because there is something more than this world. But it was a lie. Every single thing you've done, you're to be pitied. You're to be pitied. What a waste. How sad is it that you've been tricked? How sad. Of all people, all the money you've given, all the time you invested, the ways you've served, the ways you've given. Some of you have left house and home. Some of our brothers and sisters before us were sawn in two, left to be frozen to death, burned alive. Sad pitied what a waste of their life i mean good lord like i was thinking this last night what a waste of my life i mean since i've been 15 years old all i've tried to think is jesus tried to know this dude more like there have been moments in my life where i've given everything taken all of our our furniture and put it out on the curb to just give it away give the money to the homeless i i mean countless times i stood on mill avenue preaching to thousands of people that they would hear i mean i've given i indoctrinate my kids weekly to know this stuff i mean i'm lying to them my life is my job i'm standing here of all, i'm to be pity this is a like how sad is my life this is awful if jesus wasn't raised from the dead 
This is, this is a, a pitiful, pitiful display of humanity. What a waste of the sacrifices we've made. What a waste. But it is real. I'm not a crier. I haven't wasted my life. It is real. Listen to me. Listen to me very closely. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Matter of fact, the passage before this in 1 Corinthians 15, it doesn't just say, yeah, we can believe. No, there were actually witnesses. We based our court system on eyewitnesses. There were witnesses to this. Hear what they say. And that he, Jesus, appeared to Caiaphas, who is Peter, then to 12. 12 others at least saw him. But then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, Last of all, to one untimely born, he also appeared to me the testimony. People saw him. And I don't mean just some of his random falls. 500 people. Matter of fact, when this is written, some could have said, wait a minute, some of them are still alive right now. Hey, Bob, do you remember seeing Jesus after he was dead in the grave? Yeah, it was T-Bow and he came in, used my ninja and left. Like there's this sense that there they are. They, they, they exist. They really saw him. He really is. We're not crazy. We're not crazy. Like people actually saw the dude. There's witnessing, there's testimonies. People have no reason to have their arms twisted. He really was raised from the dead. And the reality is, suddenly, here's the joy. Because now it's not vanity, man, that we send missionaries overseas. It's not vanity that you've spent hours in your dorm room, in your bedroom, in your living room, in your car, talking to someone about Jesus. It's not vanity that you said, I am a Christian. No, 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 no. March, bro. March onward, Christian. Go and tell them the gospel. Because this suddenly becomes beautiful, beautiful news because it is true. And not only that, not only is all of your mission work not in vain, not only does it not mean anything, but you have a hope. According to Hebrews 2, you're no longer a slave to this world through, through, through the fear of death. You don't have to worry about dying one day, and I have to get it all in now. The reality is, no, 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 he was raised, he beat death, and he's taking you with him. And you know what's even better for those of us who love our family members is right now, according to Hebrews 12, those people who have trusted in Jesus before you, your mom, your dad, your brother, your sister, your, any other family member or friends are, and I quote, standing as a great cloud of witnesses right now, jacked that you're joining in in the process. That is reality. Because of the resurrection, you have hope. Yes! Do you understand? This, this is it. This is it. This is what I've staked my freaking life on. All of this. The resurrection of Jesus Christ has to be true. It has to be true. It has to be true. The testimonies proclaim it. It's there. I believe it. I've seen it. I feel him. I know it's to be true. And you know what's best of all? I'm not to be pitied. They are. I'm not to be pitied. I put my chips in the right place. (laughs) Hear me when I say this. John 16. This is what Jesus says as he tells his disciples right before he goes to the cross and he says, I'm going to go to the cross and you're going to see me again. And us Christians can clearly read this now and understand that it is true for us as well that one day he is going to return in the same. Hear me when I say this, John 16, a little while you will see me no more. And again, a little while you will see me. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. 
You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her, ho- her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. In that day, uh, in that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever asks of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. The reality is, I love this. Listen to this. But the world will rejoice now and you will feel like you're on the wrong side. You will. But the resurrection is true. It's true. And because he rose from the dead, he beat sin. And because he beat sin, he's taking you with him. And though for a moment, like a, like a woman going through childbirth, giving that birth, once she sees the baby, when you stand before him, you'll go, oh my gosh, that was a moment in time. It's not even worth comparing to what I felt. No, 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 no. You, you've made the right decision if you're a Christian. Man, this is good news. Without the resurrection, we don't have this. We don't have this. But he beat it. He won. Yes and amen. Yes. He is one. Now, I, I, I want to be clear because I know there's some of you who um, aren't Christians in here. And I, I want to just say something very quickly to you because it's the last six words of John 16 and verse 24 that I think should cause you uh, to, to at, at least question this resurrection thing. Because the idea that even some of us Christians still fall into, that this world can, and I quote, fill your joy... Like you're going to find fulfillment in sex or a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Like you're going to find fulfillment in that. Maybe once you get that raise or that job or that car or, or that phone or, or when you, you get whatever, whatever you think you're, you're longing for and hoping for, when you get that and then you realize it hasn't fulfilled, Jesus just made a pretty bold claim. He made a pretty bold claim. Something Piper would say, he is fully glorified when you are fully satisfied in him. He finds his most glorification in you, that you glory God the most when you are completely satisfied in him. And if you're an unbeliever in here, if you would say, I don't know about this Jesus thing, I'm trying to figure this out. The reality is you got a lot of questions to ask because if the resurrection is true, then everything else you're dealing with really becomes moot, doesn't it? I'm, I'm reading a, um, a book called The Reason for God right now with a couple guys and um, in it, I think he has a phenomenal quote in the uh, eighth chapter of the book um, dealing with the resurrection specifically. And I, I would just want to share this with you. If you're, you're not a Christian, listen to what he says. If Jesus rose from the dead, then you have not, uh, um, then you have to accept all that he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about what he said? The issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like his teachings, but whether or not he rose from the dead. You got some questions to ask. It's the resurrection you need to figure out because if he did, in fact, do something no one could do by the power of the Holy Spirit and raise from the dead, then no matter what he says, it is true. You can wrestle with it. I love Clarence Hall. He's a pastor in the 70s. He says, uh, Jesus is a perfect example that you can put truth in the grave, but it won't stay there. Like you can try to say, no, that's, uh, I, I'm going to put it away. But truth is truth, whether you want it to be or not. And if he rose from the dead, then that dude is truth. Then what he said is true. And then you've got but to wrestle with that fact and then follow him. Because all of your joy, everything you're looking for, everything you're looking for, according to him, is found in him. Everything. This is the beauty of Jesus. This is the beauty of the resurrection. And if you you are a believer in here, I can't help but quote 
Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 11, as it says this, Paul said this, Indeed, uh, let's start in verse 7. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. So I need you to hear what he said. Christian or or, or non-Christian, here's what Paul just said. It doesn't matter how good of a person you are. You can come into the room and say, well, I'm a good person. I don't do that many bad things. And the reality is it doesn't matter. What do you, you're not going to stand before God and give a checklist of all the good things. And he's going to go, well, that's enough. That's not how it works. Like even you coming here out of guilt in Easter service, I got to go because it's Easter. God's not amazed with your, your, your attendance at church right now. It's not your Bible reading. It's not your prayer. It's not your fasting. It's not your witnessing. No, no, hear me. It's none of those things. It is faith in Jesus. You will never be good enough. You'll never be good enough. You will always fail at the task. Faith in Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to say this, verse 10. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. I, when I got saved when I was 15, I was saved immediately in something called the charismatic movement. And if you've you're, um, been here for a while, you, you know some of that story, and you're familiar with the charismatic movement. But if you don't know what the charismatic movement, which is still alive and well, i got a lot of buddies who are still in it. Um, it's the, you know, the kind of tongue-speaking, flag-waving, right? Those are my homies. And, um, and so, so I remember being introduced to that. And something that was used a lot in that world was always like, hey, brother, you just got to walk by resurrection power, right? And I'm like... Cool. What does that mean? Okay. Like, do I, like, am I Jedi in it? What am I doing right now? How do I, how do I walk by this resurrection power? But it was always this ethereal thing, this kind of Jesus cape on, you know, walk by resurrection power. But I don't think it's that crazy. The reality is we find the answer at the end of our passage in first Corinthians. And, and he tells us here that we can walk, know him in the power of his resurrection and suffer in all these things. And we get the answer of what it means to walk in resurrection power. Why is this a big deal for our lives? This is what is what it's, we're told in first Corinthians 15 verse 21, as we just finished with uh, verse 20 before that he is the first fruit of those who've fallen asleep. Then he gives us, goes back to some good, solid doctrine for as by a man came death by a man has has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. This is what we know. Verse 23. Okay, that's true. We were dead, but through Adam, sin entered the world, but because of Jesus, we can be saved. Verse 23. But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end. When he delivers the kingdom to God and the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and every power. Now this is important because some of you might have been raised in church and not familiar completely or completely understand what happens if Jesus was raised from the dead when you die. If it's true that you're saved from this, like, this world and you will spend eternity with him, um, you have this kind of weird like dancing on clouds, um, pearly gate idea. But what's funny about um, that whole thing is it comes from nowhere in the Bible. Like that's just not biblical. The reality is all of your, your loved ones are with Jesus right now. Yes, in heaven. But, but, but one day he's going to return and he's not, you're not just going to have these like weird spiritual bodies, but we're told very specifically that one day you will be given the very body you have, but it is made perfect. And, and matter of fact, it's not like the body you have. It's, it's like a, what is called a resurrected body. It's a, it's a body that you're going to wake up and, and not be sore anymore. You're going to be able to like run again, old guys. Like you're going to be able to like, you're going to be able to jump. 
And, 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 and it's not this weird thing that you're just like singing all day, but there's this, this thing where like God's going to take and, and, and uh, all the sin and eradicate and remove it. And we're going to be on this earth and it's going to be without sin. And so suddenly we recognize to live by resurrection powers to, to recognize the joys that are found in this world aren't bad things. They're just broken. They're just broken. And so you will spend eternity, like you'll spend eternity painting. Like you'll spend eternity hiking. Like you'll get to visit places. You'll get to, to play basketball. You, you, you'll get to do things you love now to, to build, to garden, to, to work with your hands. These are tangible. Or maybe you don't want to do any of those things. Maybe you just want to chill. You'll get to do that. The reality is there's this sense that the Bible lays out this beauty of the display of all creation, that the resurrection is not the end. It is the beginning. And the faith that you have that you know to be true. I know it to be true right now, but it just feels like spiritual. It feels here. It feels not tangible. I, I know it's true, but it doesn't feel real. When it's all said and done, it will be. It will be. You won't just feel him. You'll see him according to 1 Peter 1. Like though you don't see him now, you still love him. One day you will see him. You'll see him. You're not on the wrong side of this. The resurrection secures the blood of Christ and starts this thing forever that we could know that those who have fallen asleep before us, that when we die, those who have died before us, when it all's said and done, we will spend eternity with Jesus in a place that is sinless, in the creation that he has built without sin. It will be perfect. This is a promise, and it is because of the resurrection. This is why we get jacked. This is what is exciting. That is resurrected power. Like, I want to kick this music stand over. <laughs> This is what it is. This is what excites us. That this world is not our home and we're not on the wrong side of history. It is real. Hear me. He has risen. I lead you with a man that I speak with often. Well, he speaks to me often. I don't ever talk to him because he's been dead for over 120 years. His name is Charles Spurgeon. With the same way that he closed his Easter sermon hundred and about 40 years ago. This is what he says. That is my close. I desire that you should feel resurrection power. We have many technical Christians who know the phrases of godliness, but know not the power of godliness. We have ritualistic Christians who treasure the outward, but know not the power. We have many moral religionists, but they also know not the power. We are pestered with conventional regulation Christians. They have a form of godliness, but deny the power of it. I beseech you, my hearers, be not content with a truth of God till you feel the force of it. Do not praise the spiritual food set before you, but eat of it till you know its power to nourish. Do not even talk of Jesus till you know his power to save. God grant you. God grant that you may know the powers of the world to come for Jesus' sake. Amen. He is risen. Let's pray.